Hi, this is Fred Olin Ray, and welcome to a One Take Territory. So I'm all done with my movie directing chores for the year, at least I think I'm done. You never know. Um, but I've been working on a couple different things, and one of them is a launch of uh, retro media material onto Amazon Prime. And this should all happen on Halloween day. I set it to occur on Halloween because I thought that was appropriate. And uh, I thought it would be easier for me to keep track of everything if we did that. And, um, you know, we're not really... We get too far down into what's going on there and what's going to be on there. Uh, it'll grow as we go. But initially, there's a bunch of films that people would probably enjoy watching for free. Uh, one of them is Dire Wolf. And I wanted to talk about uh, Dire Wolf a little bit <clears throat> uh, because Dire Wolf is a perfect example of how not to make a monster movie. We had invested a good amount of money into a werewolf costume that was used very briefly in the second season of the TV series I did called The Lair. And I thought it was a pretty cool suit, uh, but it didn't get much uh, screen time. <clears throat> And we still had use of it. And I like uh, movies with guys in suits. And this was at a time where uh, CGI movies uh, were popular. Uh, and the effects, though, were very expensive. You could pay seventy dollars to $120,000 to get your CG effects done. And some of them weren't too great. And hair was always a problem, I think, in the CG uh, uh, world. And I didn't really feel like I could do a dire wolf in CG, even if I had wanted to, which I didn't. But because the creature interacts with people so much, it's not like it's a shark that just comes up out of nowhere and swallows you up and you're gone. Or, or it's a, a snake or something that, you know, it was something that was about the size of a person that attacks you and rips you to shreds. And I didn't know how a CG creature could do that. And I always thought that stuff looked fake. You know, give me a Paul Blaisdell monster, you know, or it conquered the world or something like that uh, any day, any day of the week. So I said, you know, let's, uh, we're going to make this film. And it, it was low budget, but it wasn't no budget, about $250,000. And we made it in the heat of the summer, I think around August or something. It was bad. And we had this suit. And uh, I think we rounded up a pretty good cast, and I thought we had a pretty good script, you know, because um, it wasn't too far-fetched, because they say that dire wolves are so recent that their skeletons, which they bring up out of the Brea tar pits here by the thousands, they're not even fossils. They're not fossilized yet. They're not old enough. So it is actually feasible to pull DNA from a dire wolf skeleton and there, there's a project, uh, you can read about it online somewhere, where they are actually working to um, reintroduce some of that DNA into a regular wolf. And uh, I mean, what the purpose of a giant, powerful wolf predator uh, would be uh, to mankind, I'm not exactly sure. But uh, they're working at it. I, I'm still amazed that they haven't done a woolly mammoth since they've actually found them frozen with the meat and even even what they ate that day in their stomach and stuff. So I'm stunned that they haven't uh, married one of those things up with an elephant. <clears throat> but, you know, that's another, that's another movie. 
the one thing I decided to do in, um, in, in Direwolf that we hadn't done a lot of in the past is I said, listen, people seem to want things really bloody, really gory. I said, let's just let them have what they want. Give them what they want. And I mean, and we, we, we talked about it, and one of the things we decided to do was shoot the creature at an accelerated shutter speed. Those of you who are filmmakers, and some of you who are filmmakers still don't know, but the shutter speed affects the way things look. Your average shutter speed, I think, is 1 48th of a second for a 24 frame per second movie. Um, we filmed it at uh, 2,000. 2,000 the shutter speed. And what that did, of course, is it didn't make the film move faster. It looks like it's moving faster, but it's not. What it did is it just sort of like made every single frame crystal clear. There's no blur. There's no motion blur where the shutter can't keep up with how fast your arms are moving. And every drop of blood seems to hang in the air. I mean, if you watch Direwolf, whenever there's an attack, you know, and the blood flies, of which there's a lot, you know, you can almost follow each droplet as it goes through the air. And I thought it gave the creature a, a, a look that I thought distracted from uh, the man in the suit sort of thing. And I, I thought it looked great. I thought it looked great. I was a, a big believer in that. And uh, I saw a movie, uh, which I won't name, and I won't name the filmmaker, but uh, they started their film off shooting at a high shutter speed for no reason. And people are just walking around and they look very staticky. And then somewhere in the middle of the film, uh, someone must have discovered that they were shooting at a high shutter speed and put it back right. So all of a sudden at one point in the film, it's funny because they might have been shooting sequence because it happens in the early part of the film and then it goes away. And uh, I believe the same film actually changed aspect ratios in the middle. <laughs> it, went from, it went from one aspect ratio to another. So, so people sometimes don't understand the importance of a shutter speed. So yeah, we let the blood just fly and we just ripped it up. And there was a couple bodies that I think were made with the, maybe gelatin or something, skin over top of them. And there were razor blades in the fingers of the creature suit, you know, for just that one shot. And the, 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 the guy tears away at it and the skin is ripping, ripping open and the blood is burning out. It's really, really unnerving. And um, uh, it was uh, <laughs> hard to say, but uh, it was kind of, kind of gruesome. And at the same time, um, it seemed appropriate. Now, the other thing, we thought that this would be a Sci-Fi Channel movie. That's what, that's what we set out to make. And Sci-Fi Channel had a, uh, what do you call it? Um, it had a, a, a Bible that we had uh, that told us what to do and what not to do. One of the things was not to have a bunch of scenes at night. They, they believed that if someone landed on a night scene, when they were flipping around the channels, they would just keep moving. So they wanted the uh, creature effects and stuff like that to happen during the daytime, which again made it very challenging. Uh, they also wanted the monster to show up in the first scene of the film and that there'd be no long codas after the monster was dead. Kill the monster, wrap up the show. And, uh, and phone calls and things like that, they, don't, they didn't want that. So we did all of these things and then all of a sudden, uh, we didn't. Uh, we did not get the. Um, we didn't get the Sci-Fi Channel sale. 
You know, that was, um, that was kind of disappointing because it, this was the kind of movie uh, that if you don't get that sci-fi channel sale, it, you, don't have, you don't have any way to get your money back. And uh, it's uh, disappointing. You know, and, and they said, oh, well, it's a guy in a suit. And, um, well, yeah, okay. But, you know, I'd seen other sh scenes, movies that had guys in, guys in suits and werewolves and things of that nature. Uh, I felt like that was a, a very, very unfair. And uh, I was told that once they passed on something, they won't revisit it. And like Super Shark became a, a sci-fi channel premiere. And every sci-fi channel around the world, there was a bunch of them. There's one in the UK, there's one in Germany, blah, blah, blah. Every one of them took Super Shark because Super Shark had sold America. So after all of this work and everything we did, the movie did not uh, sell. It sold to Showtime. It was on Showtime. And um, I mean, that was uh, uh, something. That was a little something uh, uh, to take the sting out of things a little bit. Uh, and I felt very bad for Gregory Paul uh, Smith, who played the, uh, the dire wolf, because um, it was extremely hot and extremely miserable. And the more the movie went through, the bloodier the suit got. There was no cleaning it. We were pretty much planning that we would just destroy the suit, you know, when the show was over. So anyway, um, that's my recommendation. That's what you don't do. Don't do these things. Um, when you make uh, your own your own movie, and uh, as I have any other advice to you, if you can possibly help it, never make a movie that you don't have the sale already set up in advance. So coming off of uh, Direwolf, I wanted to go in a completely different direction because I thought if I didn't include this, uh, I'm going to forget it. I wanted to talk about a fellow named David Bradley. David Bradley was the guy who was credited, I think, as discovering Charlton Heston and making some student film with him called Pierre Ghent, based on the popular fable or whatever. And David Bradley, I don't know too much about him, uh, other than he directed um, They Saved Hitler's Brain. I'm going to pull him up on IMDb here right now and see if there's anything else, but that's not what I'm interested in. Um... Uh, David Bradley, every year, he had a, what do you call it? Uh, he had a, a, a New Year's Eve party. A New Year's Eve party. And, uh, and we would go. And he wore a red vest. Um, he wore a red vest. And you know, I can't find David Bradley. Let me just type in Hitler's brain and see if that comes up. Uh, they saved Hitler's brain. There it is. Uh, he wore a red uh, 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 a vest, very bright. And he shouted. He was one of those guys. Looks like he directed 12 to the Moon, Drag Strip Riot, a couple other little things. Um, but he, he had a megaphone. He shouted through the megaphone. He had this party every year. And they would make a movie, silent film. And us uh, people who were there would either act in it, if they were actors or if you were a director, you would direct scenes in this film. And the, but the, the thing about this was, was the level of people that David Bradley knew. This was old Hollywood. 
And there I would go with young Chris Ray, who was very young. And I met Madge Bellamy from White Zombie. And she had, in her old age, she was like a little old lady. She had these big incisors. You know, she almost looked like a vampire. But she loved Chris. She loved Chris Ray. And with her there was Maris Rickson, who was the female lead in the Boris Karloff movie, The Ape. And also there was Virginia Christine, uh, from Mrs. Olson, the Folgers uh, coffee lady, who was in The Mummy's Curse or The Mummy's Ghost with Lon Chaney. And her husband was Fritz Feld, who was a, a character actor, usually played a waiter, maitre d', something like that. Uh, but there was, and Kurt Siodmak. Kurt Siodmak was there every year. Every year. And I, I, I have to say that I was not a fan of Kurt Siodmak. He was kind of a loudmouth and he was arrogant. And um, I asked uh, Virginia Christine one time uh, if that was a stuntman carrying her around in that mummy movie. She said no. She said it was Lon Chaney Jr. And that he had a, a strap around his neck that would hook onto a harness to help him keep her up. And, um, and she said she never felt unsafe. She didn't think that he was uh, drinking while he was carrying her up these stairs or steps or whatever they were. And I know that there's a few uh, photos out there. One from the mummy's tomb where Cheney's like got a girl over his arm and choking a guy at the same time. You can see the harness. It looks like a necktie. And it's around his neck. And I recently posted on my official Fred Olin Ray Facebook page a photo of uh, Cheney uh, at the trellis at the bottom of the trellis uh, in the mummy's tomb, and he's holding the girl there too. And you can also see the strap harness around his neck uh, that's securing her as well. So I thought it was just an interesting thing. And then you would come back the next year on New Year's Day, and David Bradley, the, the director, he would, um, he would show the movie that you'd made the year before. And if you were lucky, the same people were still alive. <laughs> One year later. Maris Rickson was great looking though. She was kind of reminding me of Van Robinson. She had red hair and uh, she was way young looking for how old she must have been. Madge Bellamy, I was stunned she was alive. And, uh, but she was cute. She's kind of cute and rascally. And uh, Virginia Christine and Fritz Feld, they were all in great shape back then. Kurt Siodmak and all these guys. But I just, you know, I thought, yeah, I should, I'd like to talk about that for a minute just because if I don't, I'll forget it. So anyway, um, this has been my pleasure to uh, recount uh, the horrors of Direwolf and uh, New Year's Day at David Bradley's house. Uh, I've got a foam thing here around the microphone that Henrik uh, Couteau recommended to me, and I've tried it in every way imaginable, and I don't think it helps one bit. So... Um, Let's just see what happens here. And either way, I hope you can put up with it. I think it's just the roominess of my uh, office. And um, we'll keep trying until we get this right. Thanks, and that's all for now.